Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today I'm talking to Jason McKell and Elizabeth Bloomer of Pippi Cuckoo Theatre about their clowning and their ethos, and about how they balance both producing and skill sharing within one small company. It's partially a discussion of technique, and it's partially a discussion of logistics, but overall it's a case study of how something new starts in a city like Brisbane. Now, before we begin, just some regular housekeeping. Uh, Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can visit us at houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and to see how we can support you. Also, join our mailing list. It's worth it. And now, on to the show. Pippi Cuckoo are a bunch of clowns. They clown mostly underneath the house, building props and filming drafts and fine-tuning their comedic timing. The development at the moment is being facilitated by Scott Witt, a clown industry veteran, and the show they're working on is called The Lonely Box, which uses a shipping crate to frame the entirety of the performance. Throughout the same performance, the box transforms through the power of imagination and some props to become a variety of new and esoteric locations and objects for the clowns to play with. But I won't spoil any of that. In fact, before I spoil anything at all, here's Jason and Elizabeth. Pippi Cuckoo. There's actually a lot that goes into creating a clown show. Like it's, That is true. It's not just... Imp- you- like, there's definitely play and there's definitely improvs around things, but when you're working it out, there's actually a lot you write down and go through so you know that you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of structure that goes into the type of routines or gags or things that lead on from one another. And then depending on what type of clowning you're doing, whether it's fourth wall up, fourth wall down use of red nose, not use of red nose, drastically changes how you um, put the show together. Can you explain fourth wall up, fourth wall down? Um, so fourth wall up, so so in a theatre you've got four walls. So you've got the ones either side, the one behind and the one in front. The one in the front separates you from the audience. Um, if it's up, the audience doesn't like see you, you don't see them, they're just observing and watching. Whereas if the fourth wall is down, you actively are recognizing the audience is there and you're either engaging them or participating with them or getting them involved. That's the same as participating, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're, you're directly interacting with them. Yes. Um, so in the case of clowning, when you're doing a gag, uh, the easiest way to think of it is the clowns don't know they're funny. So if they do something, they'll then clock the audience, they'll look out to the audience and be like, you know, through nonverbal communication, was that funny? And if the audience laughs, the clown might do it again or make it bigger or smaller. And if it, it's not funny, it's like, okay, well, that gag isn't funny. We'll move on. Or it, it's not just funny. Like clowns don't have to be funny. It's also mm. if um, they see something on stage or if something happens to them, it's to look at the audience and be like, did you see that? And then they'll either get on with it or maybe try again and be like, or it'll show something more to the audience than just focusing down on what's happening. Lena and Woodley are a really good example of fourth wall down clowns. Um, all of their stuff, with the exception of their TV show, is pretty much fourth wall down. They're constantly talking and checking in with the audience. Um, whereas someone uh, like Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton, they were very much fourth wall up 
because of the medium they were using. Uh, and of course, they're going more into the vaudevillian sort of thing, but vaudevillian is a is a progression of clowning anyway. Mm. Uh, so yeah, does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, that right. answers the question. Um, explain to me though. I guess like traditionally, we wouldn't think of such a thing as non non funny, like serious clowning. So maybe talk a little bit about that, how that plays into your practice. I think that yeah, there is a a big common misconception that clowning is only meant to make people laugh. We like to think of it more as clowning is to evoke an emotional response, whatever that may be. So it might be laughter, it might be sad, it might be angry even, or um, you know, you could play with things like fear in that as well. And it's just about approaching that with um, a childlike uh, state of mind, not, not to be confused with childish. You know, childish is the kid in the playground, ah, you know, you pick your nose, that sort of stuff. Whereas childlike is seeing something for the first time, experiencing something for the first time every time. Like a sense of wonder. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. And you, you sometimes get, again, with the whole like laughing attitude, some people like to think clowns are stupid mm. or idiots, and they're not. They're just very childlike in the way that the way they process information is different. Mm. So if you've it, something, children come up with these amazing stories or these amazing reasons, and they have absolutely nothing to do with the real world and they actually really to an adult make no sense whatsoever but they're not idiot and they're not they're not being stupid it's just the way they perceive the world and it's the same with clowns they perceive the world in this riot of color and this amazing kind of in innocence in a way but not like as in they're not on a not aware but this spectrum of um experience yeah and they just process information differently and i think for us what we're interested in creating as far as shows go is shows that take the audience on an emotional journey as opposed to just a show that makes you laugh continuously and there's a couple of, you know, funny gags and funny routines in there. Um, We obviously hope to do that with our show, but we're much more interested in having a a core concept for our performances and then through the use of clowning, allowing the audience to join us on this, this emotional journey um, and realize various things about uh, our world and how we interact with people and objects within it. Mm-hmm. And so when you're playing with sort of that, that overwhelming sort of sense of wonder and sort of are there, are there limitations when, when you're sort of playing within the f- clown framework? What is it, maybe less about the limitations, but what is it about sort of that, that clown framework? What is it that you can access that maybe you can't through other sort of physical, physical performance mediums? I think with clowning, it allows you to um, access a real core value of creativity that other physical mediums may not allow you to access as quickly just because of the nature of the training. So for something like uh, Mayerhold or Suzuki, to name some famous physical styles, they have a very rigid discipline of how you train the actor's body working towards performance and then if you're using those styles or those mediums in performance you'll develop a very particular type of way that the actor communicates physically and that's the same with a lot of dance styles you know a ballet dancer will move differently to a tap dancer or you know jazz a jazz dancer Uh, and clowning is is like that in the sense that because clowning isn't necessarily a set physical medium it's up to the individual person or troupe or uh, or ensemble for their own creativity and their own clown, you can develop very different things. And it's just about stripping away whatever other training you may have and getting to that core creative element, which goes back to what we were saying before about being childlike, that creativity Mm -hmm. of children. Do you want to add anything to that? I think it's 
There's a lot of, like, like any other discipline or style, there are things you learn to find your clown and there are mm. exercises you do to find your clown, but it's not really a set thing. It's a way of finding out how your clown works and what they think and how they think and how do they process information and how do they deal with it. Um, and there isn't, everyone's different. Everyone has a different type of clown, which is beautiful because you meet tons of different people in it and everyone talks differently like we're very different clowns I'm a very much what I call an in clown and I think um Jason's very bombastic and a bit more larger than life than mine what's an in clown so way I I learned clowning through various different people I learned people from uh, masters from Lecoq from Gollier and I learned from a clown master called Eli Simon um and Eli the way he teaches it with us, it was as in clowns and an out clown. And an in clown is kind of someone who may be a little bit more in on themselves, more like an introvert in a way, a little bit more slow, a little bit more, um, if anything can go wrong, it will most happen, most likely happen to them. Um, but the way they deal with it is they still find the joy, but they recognize that this is, there might be a little bit more shy or a little bit more like, cutesy like my my clown is a bit of a raccoon so she's a little bit sneaky and a little bit shy and a little bit like doesn't really want people to like like go away <laughs> um whereas jason for what i would call an out clown who is larger than life if something happens to him if it goes wrong it's a, i meant to do that type of attitude it's oh this is all going to plan and like there's still equalnesses of like ch- childlike behavior He's not a, I don't know, a snooty clown, but... <laughs> it's just the difference between an introvert and an extrovert. Really. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. sort of what I'm extrapolating there. Yeah, yeah, sorry, that was a really, like, way Verbal diarrhea. Ew. Uh, but yeah, it's just the difference between an, an introvert as a clown as uh, opposed to an extrovert. And having sort of both of those, I assume you guys perform together relatively regularly having that sort of spread of dynamic does that allow you to sort of access maybe a larger swath of the audience um in a way it's also everyone is a little bit of both you'll lean to one more one more than the other and having two opposing clowns in that respect you can cover more stuff the jokes are a bit more like his outwardness um can bounce back off my inwardness and the jokes can be different so I, th- I think I think it, it allows you to because some audience members might be a bit, um, especially if they're not familiar with clowning, or they assume the preconceived idea of you know the the big hair, the red nose, the loud makeup. They might be a bit hesitant. So to have an out clown, um, they might withdraw from that a little bit out of fear um, because they're not sure what to expect. So if you have an in clown to balance that out, it allows them sort of a safer environment to tease out the interaction. And similarly, some people, you know, they don't have time for the in-clown because they're a bit more timid. It's like, we'll do something funny, do something to keep my attention. So to have the out-clown to counterbalance that, you're covering all your bases, essentially. There's no, uh, in theory, there's no person in the audience that you shouldn't be able to reach with one of the two. And that's the beauty of having uh, one of each as opposed to, you know, a troop of just out or a troop of just in-clowns. Yeah, wonderful. And you guys are a troop. We sort of started the podcast unexpectedly. You guys started speaking like you were answering questions, so I just rolled with it. Hi. But, um, <laughs> right, right. Uh, 
Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. That, that may be our director downstairs playing with a box. Yeah. Yes. We're not sure. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, assume, we'll assume that that's what's going on. Yeah. Um, we'll feel the house rocking in a minute and it'll yeah. just fall down. It'll fall down and we'll be like, oh. So like, what happens when clowns are unsupervised? That, that, was a, that was a fun year. <laughs> um, so you guys are uh, Pippi Cuckoo. Pippi Cuckoo, yeah. Pippi Cuckoo. And um, tell me a bit about your company, your new company, uh, yeah. based, based in Brisbane, mm-hmm. yes. predominantly. Um, tell me about why you founded, what, what, what you are, what the name is, all, so, all the jazz. Um, so a while ago, I wanted to create a company that included all types of theatre that wasn't pigeonholed because I come from an acting degree and then I went into doing like physical acting and started working with, um, companies like Complicity and Nehi back home. I did RSC training, um, and I, we, we met doing Commedia dell'arte in Italy. And I told Jason about my idea of wanting to create a company that didn't pigeonhole itself and could try and include as many different types of theater and styles and movement and like to circus, to dance, to clowning, to mime, to literally everything. Yeah, and I, I was coming from a place where training in Australia, I something that I had noticed is that our ability as performers seems to be quite limited with younger performers in a physical sense. Um, you know, Aussies have some of the best performers in the world, but our ability to tell a story physically seems to be, uh, in, in my experience, starting to deteriorate. And we do, of course, have some uh, areas, like Suzuki's obviously, a, as already mentioned, is quite large in Australia. Um, but that's just one style. Other styles, such as clowning or slapstick or... Uh, may hold you know you could name two dozen others seemed to starting to be falling away and what I was interested in was trying to create a platform where we could offer this training to young and emerging artists so that the, we can keep these these theater forms alive and also develop new shows so I think if when you start losing the ability to tell a story in physical medium and it's just uh, the vernacular it becomes all talking heads and more and more theater that I I see uh, across the board is moving into more of a cinematic feel and that's not necessarily a bad thing but I think as a performer and as a director as a writer you should have a large enough skill set and a large enough vocabulary to be able to choose whether you wanted to make it a product, particular production uh, cinematic or filmatic or whether you want it to be more physically expressive because that's after all that's what theatre is for like you know you can go to the movies and watch a movie so that to then go to a theatre show and watch something that is trying to replicate a film, to me, isn't hugely interesting. To some people it is, and that's, that's fine. But that's where my brain was coming in when I met Izzy, is she wanted to create this company that used all different theatre styles, and I was there going, great, can we add on to that by actually teaching, creating, you know, creating that platform, bringing in other artists, international and um, interstate, to try and offer that sort of stuff. And then we ended up coming back to Brisbane um, after we've, finishing training in the in the UK and in Italy, and we've joined forces with our third troop member who um, couldn't be here today, um, Anna Stryker, who is a wonderful puppeteer and really talented, making, moving, teaching everything. Mm. And the original show, which we're going to put a pin in and we're going to do it next year, um, is heavily influenced with puppets. Puppets, yeah. Um, and we. We wanted to work with her because of her brilliantness with 
devising puppetry shows. She had a wonder, wonderful one that was uh, um, the the um, the boy who ate the teeth. Uh, yeah, uh, at Brisbane Festival, and it was only it was how long was it? Was it? Like, it was like five, seven minutes long. And it was great. And she hand makes all these puppets and brings them to life. And and that was that was the other thing is then combining different theatre mediums like mm-hmm. puppetry with something like clowning. Because um, we were talking about that when we were, we were like, oh, I don't think I've ever seen that. a clowning puppetry show. Like you've seen puppets that do jokes or you've seen clowns that use puppets, but an actual puppetry show that all the puppets are clowns. Uh, and that's what we had wanted to to work on as part of the House Conspiracy Residency. But unfortunately, um, for personal reasons, Anna can't be involved as much as uh, we would all like her to be. So she's taken a seat back and she's going to be more of an advisory role for us. And we're doing a two-hander show called The Lonely Box, uh, which is about a clown who stumbles on a box um, that helps him out when he's lonely by giving him things to make him less lonely. Uh, and the wonderful Scott Witt has agreed to come on and uh, develop it with us. That's the guy who's downstairs playing with drills at the moment. You can probably all hear him. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he's uh, a wonderful clown master who's worked all over Australia and all over the world. Um, he's taught at NIDA, worked with Sydney Theatre Company, Queensland Theatre Company, um, you know, et cetera. And, yeah, he very graciously has given up his time to, to come and work with us to develop our premiere show. So tell me, tell me a little bit uh, about that sort of in general. You've got... Um a large focus uh, within your company and within sort of what you talk about, what you've spoken about with me, you know, outside of this podcast and on this podcast is uh, on development and on sort of skill sharing. Um, And what is sort of, what is the balance maybe that you're trying to strike between being a company that offers sort of services um, and resources as well as being a company that develops work? I, well, I wanted to be able to, we wanted now when we, we sat down and talked about it. Um, <laughs> do, you want, do you want to try starting that sentence To create a company that just did both. I don't understand why you have to do one or the other more than, you know, I, you can do both quite easily. Mm. And I think also working with a variety of performers and directors and creative advisors and all that kind of stuff, you bring together it quite naturally. And you can then start to see, right, so if we've got some puppeteers, why don't we get to teach puppets to the actors and let's get actors to teach acting, let's get some circus performers in there, let's share, Skillshare, just huge Skillshare to create an actual um, ensemble who listen and work together and that there isn't one person who's more more than the other. It's all an actual ensemble. And sharing those skills and teaching those workshops helps to get everyone on that level. So you create a toolkit for everyone to use and it's the same cross board. You know, some people have been doing it longer than the others. You don't expect other people to be like pro immediately after a few lessons, but it's one of those things of if we can all talk to each other and all listen to each other and, um, and take on board what someone else has to teach and what someone else can give you. It's a brilliant way of getting respect and appreciation for different styles of theatre and making them more. And I, I think on a on a less a less meta big scale. <laughs> Sorry, the, in case you can't hear the drill going off, it just jumped in. Um, on a less like big scale, if you just pull the lens back a little bit and focus in, I think it's important to be able to talk the talk and walk the walk like it's great if we offer all these training opportunities but then if no one sees these skills being used in the development of new work then they're going to go well what's the point of having this skill if no one's using it so for us it's important to go here are some skills whether it's me and Izzy teaching or whether it's um, we're bringing in outside practitioners 
but then to actually develop something in the mediums that we're teaching so people can see how useful it is and not lose that perspective as well. Because uh, I think that's the other, the, that's the downside of just running workshops and not having a performance outcome or a company that's performing with what they're teaching is that you can have all these actors that are like, well, you're just learning skills in a vacuum. There's no goal because, you know, if I'm doing checkoff, there might not necessarily be room to do clowning in checkoff. So it's like, well, why did I bother spending X amount on a workshop if I'm not going to use it? Uh, and that's sort of where that mantra comes from is we'll do workshops in it and then develop something out of that. Yeah, and so tell me a little bit about... So you've had Scott Witt up in Brisbane. He's Sydney-based, correct? Yeah, he's, Sydney. yeah, he's originally he's from Brizzy. but Originally no. from Brizzy, but now he's Sydney-based. And yeah, well, he's got a few Matildas under his belt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, he's now up here working with you guys. You guys had him facilitate a workshop over the weekend. Yeah. And now he's helping you with your work. The, this this sort of tradition within the arts of of knowledge sharing and of sort of passing down um, skills and whatnot. Is that, it, 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 what, it, what is it to you to have Scott here working with you sort of on the company's first production? Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I think it's kind of everything for us. Uh, we first approached Scotty when we first got back to Australia. We were working with another company oh. in Sydney um, and we had a concept for another show, um, which for various reasons proved to be a little bit too complex for our premiere season, but it's one we hope to do later on. And we first approached Scotty about coming on board and helping there. And when he was sort of asking us, he's like, what are you guys doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? And we, you know, basically ran through everything we've just mentioned with Scotty. And he went, this is, this is wonderful. You know, I would, he, he's like, I'm glad that someone else has this thought process because from his generation of performers, that seems to have been more common from a sort of subjective point of view. Um, so, he said, and it seems to be something that we're losing of this sharing of, uh, of skills and, and that sort of stuff. So he basically gave us a blank check and said, look, whatever you guys are working on, if I can, I'm happy to help out. Or if, if the, the medium you guys are working in could be benefited by me being on board, then let's set up a dialogue and we'll, we'll try and make it happen. And that's how this came about. We ran a workshop. We accidentally ran a workshop with him in Sydney earlier in the year. Um, we thought we were going to approach him to do some training for just Izzy and I and he kind of went well let's run a workshop and you know make costs for us uh, a little bit less because we we're obviously flying to Sydney and we end up producing that workshop and that was the first official thing we did as a company as with under the name PP Cuckoo Theatre and sort of it snowballed from there and the one that we ran with Scotty up here in Brisbane last weekend is actually the third workshop we run this year we ran another one for Sea Will Artist, which is a circus medium, in July with uh, uh, Dave Gregory or Dave Combs. Yeah, he changes his name, which <laughs> I thought I'd, I'd ask. Um, and yeah, and it's just been a an ongoing process from there. You want to add anything to that? No, no, that's <laughs> no. it. Yeah, that. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so, are there sort of being sort of a company of two or three sort of two or three core members, mm. is there... I told you we should call it core. <laughs> <laughs> members, core members. No, no, sorry. This well, is a debate it's... we've been having. I want to call it core and he wants to say troop. So we've, we're going with troop, I think. But yeah. Well, troop is how I would refer to the, the whole thing. Troop, yeah. Um, but yeah, with sort of with sort of two or three troop members. Yeah, troop, yeah. troops. Yeah, there's, there's troop, troop, new troop. company. The we're still troop. we're still working we're still, at the still, final. Yeah, like the, 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 the core troop. The core of, troop. Um, core troop. <laughs> of uh, PP Cuckoo. Um, are you? I don't know. Is there is there a, a worry? That how do you balance? I guess like 
the the massive time commitments that go to both producing sort of skill sharing sort of opportunities, you know, producing educational resources as well as producing works. How do you how do you balance that? You I think just do. We really <laughs> well, no, I can't explain it more than this is what we really love doing. And when you love something, you make you try and find any way to make it happen. So like I'm offering the free workshop on Wednesday the 20th and we'll still be rehearsing during the day and then it's just running after hours and it's just finding a balance of oh so when can we when can we teach people or you know when should we we're just gonna and because we live together we won't really stop rehearsing Mm. um it'll be like oh I've had this idea let's keep rolling with that so you just find you know, if you want to do it, you make time. It's that of people go, oh, I don't have any time anymore. Or, you know, uh, oh, I don't have time to do this. And it's just, well, you, if you love it, you make time to do it. And Right. And it's about framing it as making time, not finding time. You were going to say something. I was going to say, and it's also about, and this is where it comes into professional practice, about a differentiating the line between when we're co-facilitating or facilitating a workshop and that sort of hat that you wear as opposed to a creative development or working on a new show because they are um, very different things while you know a lot of their elements may cross over they are two separate categories so it's about knowing and figuring out as an individual or as a as a company how much effort and mental fortitude you put into one versus the other um, so for us as a, just as an example because the workshop we'd run with Scotty this weekend we'd done it before in Sydney we kind of knew what we were getting ourselves into. So we didn't have to spend huge amounts of time going through the, the motions of that. We kind of went, that'll happen, that'll happen, that'll happen. We cannot worry about that so much. We can start focusing on what do we need to go straight out of the close of the workshop on Sunday afternoon to the day one of development, creative development on Monday morning. Whereas if we were to do, if say, for instance, we had a development with Scotty back in um, May, which is when we ran the one in Sydney, I think we would have, bitten off more than we could chew because we spent so much time with all the questions of how do we facilitate a workshop from Brisbane in Sydney with no one down there to really hit the ground or fly or anything like that. So yeah, it's about figuring out what steps you want to take. And then once you've done one workshop, you can kind of copy and paste a lot of things. And I'm assuming that doing developments as a company will be similar. Uh, Although I think because of, again, depending on what medium you're using, that will be more of a up for change whereas a workshop kind of has a a set format that you can repeat within a a degree of variability Mm. um and that just yeah just comes down to professional practice of going how much time do i need to allot for this and how much time do i not need to allot for it is it easy or does it become easier to sort of make honest predictions about what that time commitment is going to be like i think in the in the early stages it's not um we kind of, because we hadn't done it, we knew we knew we didn't know what we needed to know, if that makes sense. Um, we allotted way more time than we actually needed um, just so we didn't get caught short. That was a big panic of mine is that we go, like, oh, we think it's going to need, you know, say 15 hours of development and then we realise it needs 30. So we were like, okay, let's let's take this back and let's give ourselves 30 in the, in the assumption we'll need 15. And it ended up, I think it was about 20 hours. So we had spare time. And it's the same with the development. We've kind of gone, this is how much time we've got. We know we're going to need more. Let's allow for that so we don't fall short. And that's, yeah, that's coming down to time management skills. And you're, you have to be really honest with yourself as a performer and as a company of how well you work and how efficiently you work. And once you've got an understanding of that, you can then move forward and start 
time managing how much time you need to achieve a certain goal. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think it's just about yeah, finding that balance and finding the structures. Yeah, there's, there's not a, there's not a cut and paste easy answer for that one. It's very much an individual thing. I think it also depends on what you're doing and where you're doing it and to what scale you're doing it on and mm. who you're working with. It changes every time. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you've got a group of people you've worked with before, um, it you know, you might power through stuff a lot quicker than you might be working with people you've never worked with before because mm. um, you're building that relationship from the ground up again. Um, and, you know, learning how each other play, learning how people think and how they need to... Like, I'm dyslexic and dyscalculic. I process information differently to how Jason does. And when we first started working together, he had to get used to how I work and talk and think and make stuff. Um, Scotty's dyslexic as well, so that's... He's, it seems to be a common trend. Yeah. With theatery people. Yeah. I don't know. It's I think it's I, I, I think I, I said to you when you said uh, that you were you were nervous about not having prepared. Well, no, I won't out you as saying nervous. <laughs> but uh, I said don't worry, podcasts are a spoken medium, and I think that holds true for theater as well. But I actually yeah. wanted to mm. sort of expand what you were saying about working with people and sort of ask you about that on a uh, macro scale of and I really hate asking this question um (laughs) and I try to avoid it on the podcast uh just because I think it's a boring question but I also think that for what you guys are doing it's relatively interesting I wanted to ask like what's what's it like running a company like this where you have these development opportunities and producing new work in Brisbane like what what's it what's the appetite what's the culture like here for the sort of things you're doing look it's it's hard it's an uphill battle um Aussies in general uh, don't, they're not huge theatre goers. Um, we're much more of a sport culture than we are of an arts culture. So, and, you know, I'm sure almost any artist in any medium will at least be able to relate to that, whether they agree with it or not. They can relate to having tried to do something and just not having the numbers. And uh, I won't mention the name of the artist, but when we said we were running a workshop with Scotty in Brisbane, they were like, it's great. I love that, that you're doing it. No one's going to come literally what this artist said to us and they're like that's not that was not them being mean they were just like no one in brisbane will pay for a workshop they just won't um and it was hard it was much harder to get people to fill the the spaces in the workshop in brizzy than it was in sydney um it's why we're really keen on trying to support and collaborate with mm. as many different theater companies or artists solo or grouping to try and promote and support the arts as much as possible, even if it like, you know, paid, free, profit share, whatever it is, like we just really want to work with tons of people and, and Yeah, we'll share your stuff on Facebook. So, you know, give us a call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what um because I was there for that that conversation. Um how did it go, if I can ask? It went really well. Um we got uh, almost the exact numbers we thought we would get. Um, again, going back to managing, you know, you have a, a goal of what you'd love to get real world if you maxed out the bookings uh, and then what you sort of expect to get. And we got above what we expected to get, but below the maximum capacity that the facility could take. So it was pretty much right in the sweet zone. And it was a wonderful group of people. Oh, yeah. It was so amazing to play with and learn with. And they were just... A huge, diverse range of backgrounds and experience levels. Yeah. And it was so lovely to see the progression over the two days, which isn't a lot of time when you think about it. And what was wonderful was um, the play happening outside the classroom. So like people just talking and um, 
playing around and finding the game, the fun and the joy outside of the exercises we were doing. And you just like, you could see people bonding and sharing knowledge and sharing information. And it was Mm. so lovely to see. So there's definitely a want for this type of stuff in Brisbane, but I think you're saying you wanted to ask the macro question. I think at the very core of it, it's about culture change. We're in a very long-term kind of view trying to affect change in the in the theatre and the theatrical culture of Brisbane to if we create more opportunities for artists to train and more platforms for artists to develop new works then hopefully over time more people will start doing it of their own accord it'll become an ingrained thing of this is possible and while we're certainly not the first people to try and do this um, and we're not the only company out there at the moment who is doing this I think the more companies that are doing this, the better. Yeah, and um, the more we support each other as small companies, big companies as well, that will endorse that attitude as well. Do you think, do you think we're moving in, in that positive direction? I hope so. Oh, I yeah. certainly hope so. hope so. Um, I mean, we've already had a couple of people approach us from other companies and from other uh, platforms, both educational um, and uh, corporate sort of saying, who are you? What are you doing? This is all a bit new. So again, that's sort of reinforcing our standpoint that there is a want for this sort of stuff out there, but because it hasn't been done to a large scale or a successful large scale yet, people just aren't asking for it because they haven't seen it. And it's, I come from the UK and it is so different over there. And we've got, you know, Europe is so much closer and there's tons of different theatre styles there and in London and just general across the UK but the, the problem there is the reverse. There are so many people fighting to be seen and be heard that you get lost mm-hmm. because everyone's scrabbling to be the first and to be the best. And it's a different sort of situation there. You know, it's brilliant. There's so much going on and there's so much you can see and people do want to see it. And, you know, we've got all the festivals, we've got the fringes to support that. But you kind of get pushed around because you're just one little company in amongst tons of other small medium big companies so it's harder um there but harder in the way that there's so much whereas it's harder over here that they're on yeah it's literally a 180 of of the battles you you fight um to get new work done or you know get space to develop something it's a complete 180 which is a real for me it was a real eye-opener when i went over there i was like wow this is i have no skill set to to, to fit in with these guys because the battles I'm used to fighting to create work are completely different. And I think Izzy felt something very similar when she came over here. Yeah. It was just like, wow, it, it's just a polar opposites. Yeah, you, you, flipping of the supply-demand. Yeah, mm. And you back home you, you push so much to learn new things because that's how you survive, by making yourself stand out as much as possible. And, you know, workshops book out so quickly because you, you want to go and you want to know the skills so you, it sets you apart. So... You know, I back home look very a typical British woman. Um, so I learned circus and physical theatre and mask and, you know, all of the things that might make me stand out in a way different to who, who might, someone else who might be like me. Um, and just circling back to why we decided to set up the company in Brisbane is I think Brisbane, more so than Sydney or even Melbourne in some ways, has... Uh, a more immersive and a more, um, I'm trying to find the right word here, a more um, forceful independent arts scene. I mean forceful as in people 
that are doing independent art here, be it theatre or, um, you know, another medium, dance, et cetera, that they're really like, we're going to make this happen. Whereas in Sydney and Melbourne, again, in my experience, it is slightly less like that. Um, there's more of a, oh, we're the bigger states. We can, we'll just do it. So part of the reason, aside from the fact that I'm, you know, Brisbane born and bred, so I know the, the territory, it was like, I think this type of work has a better chance of catching on here than it would in one of the other states. Um, that's not to say that we don't want to expand down the track, but I think, you know, and House Conspiracy is a great example of this. What you guys are doing here, are giving the the platform that companies like us need is absolutely wonderful. Uh, and thank you for providing yeah, thank that. thank you so much. <laughs> but that's another example of, I think, in Brisbane, that it's got a better chance. If it's going to survive anywhere, it's going to survive here. And then once it's latched on, it can grow like a fungus. Yeah, well, I think, I think uh, this city is sort of in... For the, for the Australian art scene sort of in a unique growth mm. phase because, like you said, like in terms of sort of that reverse of like there's there's actually, yeah, there, there's a reverse problem with London. You know, with London it's too competitive. With here people aren't sure what there is. Mm. And I think as it becomes sort of more and more accessible through social media, through more venues opening up. And you've, you've got the right platforms. Like you've got Anywhere Theatre Festival, there's Wonderland Festival, you've got Brisbane Festival, um, Short and Sweet Mm. There's tons of, and obviously the fringes again here, and then uh, Sydney and Melbourne. I know have their own little festivals. We don't happening. have a fringe here. No, no, I mean in don't. Adelaide. I just, oh, mean, sorry, I just mean sorry. in general. So, yeah. um, just like you got Adelaide Fringe, and then you've got like Sydney and Melbourne. They have different like Melbourne Comedy Festival and things like that. But you know there are these platforms that are emerging to be able to do new productions, whether it's you know anything, and just kind of get people. Coming and coming and seeing new stuff and supporting the arts and you know it's you know cathartic and brilliant to go and see and just enjoy and have some fun and learn something and experience something. That is a lovely summary note, actually. But I want to ask you one question that we didn't get to at the start, and that is, where does the name come from? <laughs> uh, um, it's it's Argentinian. Yes, it means just perfect, just right, which is what we think sums up the type of shows we want to do. Yeah. Um, just perfect and just right for the type of medium they're in. Not, you know, this massive ego trip of, oh, you know, we can do the best theatre in the world. No, we know we can't. Um, or we're not always going to hit that mark, but it's just perfect and just right for what it is. Uh, and we thought of it, we're at Woodford. We were performing at Woodford in the fire event last year and... Um, we just came up with it there. We were talking to people and someone mentioned the phrase and we were like, oh, that's, that's really lovely. So that's where the name sort of evolved from. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's been great to have you guys on the podcast. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Um, after the House Conspiracy Residency, it is going to be 2018. Um, yeah. Is there anything particularly on the cards for the company um, that you want to talk about or otherwise where can people find you online? Uh, so we've got a, a Facebook group, uh, Instagram and Twitter as of this morning. Uh, yes. We'll be launching our website in 2018 at the conclusion of um, the House Conspiracy Residency in conjunction with the performance of our first you show. You can find us under PP Cuckoo Theatre on all three of those platforms. Yeah, just <laughs> at PP Cuckoo Theatre. Great. Yeah, this is, this is going to come out in January, this podcast. So oh, your great. website ah. will be up then. Oh, lovely. Ah. Yes. Do you know what your address, your URL is going to be yet? Or? I think I brought it. I think I remember what it is. Just I think it's pp-cuckoo-theatre.com. Pp-cuckoo-theatre. 
Com. It'll be dot com because I remember having that conversation. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's just pppcuckoo.theater.com. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. great. If that doesn't show up, try .au as well, just in case we change it. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll put it on our social media sites when it does launch. So yeah, we're gonna, We've got more workshops planned for 2018 in different styles, uh, both in Brizzy and in Sydney. Um, and then... We want to aim for Melbourne, but it's a little bit far a little from bit us far at the away. moment. <laughs> so. uh, and we're hopeful that we may have a tour of the show that we're developing uh, at the moment for 2018. There's a couple of things that have to align Correctly, but don't jinx it. Yeah, don't jinx touch it. Wood, touch wood. <laughs> but yeah, so hopefully there'll be a tour of some description of uh, the Lonely Box. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, good luck with your development. Yeah. Thank Happy New you. Year for everyone. Merry yeah. Christmas. The House Conspiracy Podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org slash donate, and you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>